Open your Bibles, please, to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 1. 2 Corinthians, chapter 1. We'll read beginning with verse 15. And I'm going to talk with you this morning on saying yes to God, how to say yes to God. Uh, some time ago, Vicki and I were talking about this uh, recently. Some time ago, there was some, some family had a baby, maybe a year old, something like that. And they had a little trick the baby could do. You know, you have, when you... <laughs> When you have a child, sometimes they can do little things and it's so cute to you. And they, they would say, they would say to the baby, they'd say, say yes. And the baby would shake his head and say, no. And they'd do it again and say, yes. And they'd say, no. And they thought it was so cute. And I'll just tell you, it, it was cute then. But when they get to teenage years, it's less cute. I'll just tell you, it's less cute. And for some, we've been saying no to God for a long time. We say no to God. Instead of yes to God, we say no to God. And I want to ask you today to say yes to God. And all of that means, and let's look at what that looks like in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's read beginning with verse 15. The Bible says, because of this confidence, I plan to come to you first so that you could have a second benefit and to visit you on my way to Macedonia and then to come to you again from Macedonia and be helped by you on my journey to Judea. Now, when I planned this, was I have two minds? Or what I plan, do I plan in a purely human way so that I say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus, Timothy, and I, did not become yes and no. On the contrary, in him it is always yes. For every one of God's promises is yes in him. Therefore, through him, we also say amen to the glory of God. Now it is God who strengthens us together with you in Christ and who has anointed us. He has also put his seal on us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a down payment. Well, let's note some principles together. Could I encourage you to write down four things about saying yes to God, what it looks like to say yes to God. Four things I want to ask you to write down. If you're online, you can join us. Write those four things down, what it means to say yes to God. Number one, say yes to God's plans. Say yes to God's plans. Verse 15 and 16 and 17 talk to us about the plans Paul has made. He talks about the confidence he had to plan to come to visit them and then to bless them through that visit, what he's calling a second benefit, to really be a blessing to them, to visit them on his way to Macedonia, to help them again on his way to Judea. They would help him, of course. And he said, I, when I planned this, was I of two minds? Or what I planned, do I plan in a purely human way? And he's saying, no, I tried to follow God's plans. I followed, tried to follow what God wanted for me. And I tried to say yes to the purposes and plans God had. And I want to ask you to say yes to God's plans. Say yes to God's plans. Some of you are, this is a graduation season. And some of you may be uh, new graduates. And you're thinking perhaps a little bit more about your future. And I want to ask you to seek the Lord's will to seek the Lord's will. Not just what's easy, not just what's convenient, not just what you've planned for yourself, but what is it God wants you to do, to seek the Lord. I'm surprised how many people who name the name of the Lord never really seek God's plans. And what we often end up doing is just make our own plans and then ask God to bless us or make our own plans. And then God, if I need help, if I get in trouble, I'll call on you then. How much better it would be for us to seek God's plans and God's will. What does God want? And to seek his will. I want to ask you to seek that for your life. 
And as you think about your future, what it might be in the days ahead, or if you're retiring or graduating or considering some change in your future, what does God want for you? And to seek God's will. This is a core part of discipleship, just to seek God's will. That's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, I wanted to find God's will. And sometimes God closed doors and opened doors. Sometimes Paul was making plans and then God would shut one door and he'd open another door to Macedonia or somewhere. And perhaps God will do that for you. But if you'll seek his will, if you'll say in effect, God, I want to give you a blank check on my life. I don't know that you know what a check is if you're younger. Um, you know what a check is? Or like a credit card. Give you, I want to give you my credit card, God. Everything I've got. I don't need, you don't need, I don't know what, however you do it, God, everything, all my future, all my plans, all my dreams, I just want to seek your will, and not only seek God's will, but also to follow the Lord's will. Notice Paul saying, not just making plans, I'm not just hoping to make plans, I want to do what God wants me to do. Where God says yes, I want to say yes. Where God opens a door for me, I want to follow through that door. And it doesn't even matter so much what the circumstances are or what doors God opens or closes, but I want to follow the Lord and I want to say yes to him. I don't want to be distracted. I don't want to chase the wrong things. I I don't want to just go in my own direction. I don't want to just do what seems convenient, but to seek and to follow God's will. Some years ago, Vicki and I were driving through Virginia, maybe vacation or something. And as we're driving along, I saw a sign on the interstate or highway, and it said uh, something about a Civil War battlefield, a Five Forks Civil War battle site, something like that. And I said to Vicki, uh, I'd, I'd like to stop here. Now, I'll just tell you, Vicki doesn't enjoy Civil War battle sites as much as me. I'll just I'll, I'll say that. But she loves me, and so she said, okay. Let's. So we pulled off, and I knew about Five Forks. I mean, I'd never been there, but I knew this story. And Five Forks is, the, is kind of a pivotal battle in the Civil War because it's when the Union Army was um, besieging uh, Petersburg, and they were trying constantly to turn the, their left flank, the right flank of the Confederates, and Five Forks is where that finally succeeded. They turned the flank, and when that happened, that meant Petersburg fell. When Petersburg fell, that meant Richmond would fall. And when Richmond fell, that meant that led to Appomattox, where Lee's army would surrender, and that led to the um, end of the Civil War. And at Five Forks, the commanding general for the Confederates was a man named George Pickett. Pickett got famous, uh, in a sense, in our remembrance, if, if you did know anything about Civil War history, at Gettysburg, you might know of the, what's called Pickett's Charge, his his men who charged there. But this is sometime later, and Pickett was uh, there, the commanding general, but he was not present when the battle took place. I mean, he knew that the Union was always trying to take that left flank, and he needed to protect the, really, the, not just the communication, but the supply line into Petersburg by which the men could, you know, fight and eat. But it got later in the day. Usually battles start in the morning. If they don't start in the morning, they'll start in late morning. If they don't start in late morning, they're going to start early afternoon. And now it's mid-afternoon and nothing has happened. So he said, well, they're not going to attack today, apparently. And so he got word that there was a, uh, a run of shad up. It's kind of a big minnow that runs up sometimes rivers. And, and some guys had caught a bunch of shad. They were having a shad bake. And they told 
General Pickett about the Shadbake. And so they didn't have enough for everyone, so he didn't even tell his staff where he was going. He just left, went back to the Shadbake, just a couple of miles away, but the atmospheric conditions were such that he could not even hear the battle taking place until it was too late. And no one knew where he was. And he was absent on this critical moment of the battle because he was chasing minnows. And I'm telling you, he's not the last one who's lived that kind of life. And there are many of you, if you're not careful, you're going to find your life filled with minnow chasing when God has big purposes and plans for your life, when he made you for something more, when he saved you for something greater, and God wants this for you. And yet many people are so busy with the distractions of life, the little minnows of life, that they are missing God's plan. And I want to ask you today to say yes to God's plan. God, I give you my future. Though I don't know what it is you do. Though I don't know where that leads you do. And I want to trust you with my future. I want to say yes to you. You don't even have to tell me all the details of what that's going to look like. But I'm saying yes to your plans. And God wants what's best for you. What deep inside, if you could see it as God sees it. If you could understand it as God understands it. This is exactly what you would want as well. But for many people, they've been distracted by the things of life. And I want to ask you today to say yes to God's plans. There's a second thing I'd like you to say yes to. Say yes to God's proclamation. In verses 18 and 19, talk to us about the proclamation of the message of God. Um, it tells us God's message is plain in verse 18. As God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. Paul says our message is not yes and no. It's a plain message. It's a clear message. It's a message of yes to God, saying yes to God. It's a message that recognizes the, the simple truth of the gospel, that our sin has separated us from God who is holy, and yet God has done something about this condition that we couldn't do anything about in our own merit or strength. God sent his son Jesus. God became a man to dwell among us, to live the life we couldn't live, to die the death we deserve, to rise from the grave, to provide the miracle we need. And if we will repent of our sins and trust Christ as Savior, receive him as Savior, we will be saved. That's the clear message of the gospel. And it's not a yes and no. It's not an unclarity. It's not a, you know, do the best you can. It's not, it's trust the Lord. And the Lord can save you and change you. And that message will change who you are on the inside. God's message is plain. God's message is personal. It says, as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes or no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaim to you. He's saying the message is about Jesus. It's a personal message. It's not that God is out there somewhere. It's the Son of God, Jesus Christ, came into this world. It's not just about religion. It's a personal relationship with God. God doesn't want just to know about you. God wants you to become his child. He doesn't want you just to know about him. He wants you to know him as your heavenly father. He wants a relationship with you. And it's always personal with God. The, the death of Jesus was personal for your sins, certainly for the sins of the world, but for your sins. God's message is personal. It's proclaimed. Verse 19 says, The Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus, that's Silas, and Timothy, and I, Paul. He said, that's the message we proclaimed among you. 
it's a personal message. We proclaimed it to you. We have that connection, but we proclaimed it. God used a guy like Silas or a person like Timothy or a person like Paul, and God uses someone like you. God uses someone like you. I love to see people come to Christ. I love that. I love to see people find new life in Christ. And one of the great joys of my life is when I hear someone in our church who has led someone else to Christ. I love that. Or they've invited someone to church maybe, and they came and they talked about the gospel and they gave their life to Christ. Or they led a friend at work to the Lord. Or they, some family member they've just prayed for, and then they finally got to share the gospel with them and see them pray to receive Christ. I love it. God uses the proclamation of his message. It's imperfect people. Silas and Timothy and Paul were imperfect people like you and me. But God uses people like us to accomplish his purposes. And we proclaim the message. We become his ambassadors. God wants to use someone like us. And God's message is positive. In verse 19, the Bible says, on the contrary, it's not yes and no, on the contrary, in him it is always yes. The message of God is positive. It's good news. I remind you, the gospel is good news. You say, well, it doesn't sound like good news sometimes because there's a lot of things in the Bible that says thou shalt not. Sometimes God says, don't do this. And sometimes the gospel sounds really, you know, different than our culture when God says no to us, when, we, when our culture says yes. But I remind you that even the bad news is for the purpose of the good news. Even the negative is for the purpose of the positive. God tells us the truth about sin so that we can find forgiveness. He tells us the truth about death so that we can find life. And it's good news. It's, it's not just that we're in sin, though we are, but that God has done something about that sinful condition. And it's a positive message of hope. God tells us the truth, even the part of the truth that doesn't match our culture, and even the part of the truth that we don't always like because it doesn't match what we want or what we feel or what we like, because He cares about us, and because He loves us, and He wants what's right and good and best for us. And God uses people like us to proclaim that message of the gospel to others. I've been uh, reading a story, the, the biography of a pastor I, I, I know more about than know. I know uh, of him more than I know him. Uh, he's a pastor in Nashville, Tennessee area named Robbie Gallaty, and he wrote a, his story out, the, the story of his coming to Christ. And God has used him and his church to really see a lot of young uh, adults especially come to Christ, and I love that. I love to see people in general come to Christ, but there's something great about seeing uh, in our church the large number of young adults who are coming to Christ and teenagers, and there's a power to that, and I love that, and I'm praying God will continue to pour out His blessings in these ways. There is something great about that. I, I love to see it. I love to see young adults following in baptism, coming to know Christ as Savior, growing in faith. These things are uh, near and dear to my heart, and so Galatee's story is um, maybe not the typical preacher story. He did not, he grew up in a good home, a uh, home of, you know, a lot of love and encouragement and support and such, mildly religious, he never heard the message of the gospel, didn't know Christ as Savior, but they had a supportive family. But his story um, is not that uncommon in American society. He began as a young adult to abuse alcohol, and then he um, got a pain medication uh, prescription, and he, that led to uh, an addiction 
that led to every, all the depths of addiction. Some of you know that story uh, in family and friends all too well. And I mean, just all the way to the bottom. The bottom can be a long way down. Um, living in an apartment with no electricity, stealing from his parents, watching friends die or go to prison. And it got bad enough that he finally was honest with his parents who just, who just didn't see it. And uh, they helped him get some treatment and he went through withdrawal and he got better and he did okay for a time and his sister was helpful for him and and then um, he tweaked his back working he tweaked his back working out and he um, got a prescription and he said well just one pill and that led to a thousand and he's selling drugs to buy them, right back to full-blown addiction, all the way to the bottom again. Bottom can be so low. In his case, he lived. He didn't go to jail. But again, through the pain of withdrawal, the detoxification, and, and, and he was clean and sober, clean and sober again for the second time. And he started thinking, what, is this the pattern of my life until I die? Is this the pattern until I go to jail like my friends? You know, is this, is this how it happens? And he remembered one night just by himself, just by himself, but at least sober. He remembered a friend in college who had shared the gospel with him and had shared it several times, had witnessed to him about the gospel. And he remembered that friend talking to him about this deepest need. And he came to realize, man, that guy was talking about sin. And he said, that's the deepest need of my life. And, and he realized my alcohol and drug addiction is really a symptom of something even greater. And that's sin. And that sin is killing me. And then he remembered his friend said, Jesus did something about that sin. He died on the cross to pay that penalty. And that if you would trust Christ as Savior, Christ who rose from the dead, who conquered sin, could save you and change you and forgive you. And right there in his room by himself, he gave his life to Christ. It was sort of like Paul's Damascus Road experience where he just had an encounter with God. And he said, God, I am... I am turning from sin and I'm turning to you. I'm praying there are some of you here, here today or watching online who will give your life to Christ today. Trust him as Savior. And God has used him then to see large numbers of young people come to faith in Christ. And I wonder if God in heaven hasn't been asking of you that you would say yes to his proclamation, that you would be the guy at work who cares enough to help that person hear the message of the gospel or that relative hear the message of the gospel, that God might use you, that you'd be that friend who would love and who would care. And even if they, even if they didn't give their life to Christ at that moment, they, they would hear the message that God would use in their life. I want to ask you today to say yes to God's proclamation. Number three, say yes to God's promises. 
ask you today to say yes to God's promises. Verse 20 says, every one of God's promises is yes in him. The Bible is saying here, God keeps his word. He's a promise keeper. He keeps his word. Every one of God's promises, not just some of them, every one of God's promises is yes in him. Not maybe, but yes. God keeps his word. God has made promises to us that he will keep. God tells us the truth, and he's a promise-keeping God, and he will keep his promises to you, the promises he has made in his word. He says yes to those promises, and we can trust his promises. Verse 20 says, every one of God's promises is yes in him. Therefore, here's what should happen as a result. Therefore, through him, we also say amen to the glory of God. Now, amen, for many of us, is just something we say at the end of a prayer. It's a Hebrew word that means so be it, or I'm in agreement. And we're saying God is a promise-keeping God, and we say amen to that. We trust his promises. We know that God keeps his word. We recognize this promise-keeping God, and we want to say yes to God's promises as well because it's the avenue to what God wants to do in us and through us and to all the promises he has for our future. Which brings me to point number four, say yes to God's presence. Say yes to God's presence. I was reading about a discipleship guy named Leroy Imes, and he was, uh, he told from years ago, and he told a story about traveling somewhere. He was going to preach somewhere, and he was really excited about this opportunity to preach. And so he had a, a layover on a flight. He was going to lay over and then the next flight, and it was late. The flight was late, and he was worrying about making the connecting flight. And sure enough, you know, he arrived so late, and, he got, and it landed at O'Hare. O'Hare, I don't know what things are like now, but in those, back in the old days, O'Hare was just the busiest airport in the world. And it just crowded with people. Do you remember when pe- places were crowded with people? Can you remember that far back? Crowded with people. And he was, and they were just, and he realized when he got off the plane, worried about his connecting flight, was about to take off. He'd land, they'd landed so late. And he, sure enough, he goes to the, you know, counter and he sees the sign. It says where his flight is. And it's on the other side, all the way from one side of the airport to the other. And the airport's packed with people. And he said, how am I going to do this? And he saw a guy, there was a guy there wearing a uniform, you know, like, a, like he worked there at the airport. And the guy said, where are you flying to? And he told him where he's flying to. And he said, I'm not, I don't know how I'm going to make it it's so far. And the guy said, you're going to be okay. If you'll stay with me, you'll make the flight. And he said, what do you mean? Stay, stay close. What do you mean stay close to you and I'll make the flight? And the guy said, well, I'm the pilot for that flight. And if you'll stay close with me, they won't take off without me. And if you'll stay with me, you'll make your flight. I want you to know something. God in heaven is saying to you, I want you to stay close to me. I want you to stay close to me. Instead of worrying about all the details and all the problems, you stay close to me. I want you to say yes to God's presence. Will you go with me, please, to verse 21? Verses 20 and 21, or 21 and 22 are powerful verses. The Bible says, now it is God who strengthens us. Listen, God's not saying, hey, good luck with your life. Hope everything works out. He's saying it's God who strengthens us. God works in us. Paul's saying, I'm not going on my own. I'm not making my plans. I'm not proclaiming the gospel. I'm not trusting his promises without the Lord. He is with me. It's God who strengthens us. And then he says, together with you, together with you, God does this strengthening with others. 
if you don't see by now that we need each other, I hate to think what it would take. If you don't see how much we need each other, God made us for each other. God made the church, and he strengthens us together, together. Paul's saying, it's me and the church at Corinth. We're together in this. God made the church for a reason. We need each other. He puts us together in the body of Christ for a reason. And God made the church. And he does it because we need each other. And it's God who strengthens us together with you in Christ. We're in Christ. He is our focus. He is our guide. Everything the Father does, he does in conjunction with the Son. And the Bible says in verse 21, he does this in Christ, who has anointed us. We are anointed by God. In the Old Testament, the high priest would be anointed at his ordination, and the oil would run down his head and down through his beard, and it was a reminder of the presence of God. As that high priest would go into the presence of God on the Day of Atonement, it was a reminder of the very presence of God. And the Bible says, God has anointed us in Christ, that we have the presence of God dripping on us, God with us. Verse 22 says, he has also put his seal on us. He's put his seal on us. It's like we're a document that he has sealed. He has stamped it upon us. And he's saying, this is mine. This is, I'm, I own this. This is my document. This identifies the owner. And God has put his seal on us. God becomes our Lord. He becomes our Father. And we are bought at a price by him. He put his seal on us and has given us the Spirit in our hearts. He's given us the Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, comes to live in us when we're saved. God isn't just out there. God is in here. God lives in us, the Holy Spirit in us, so that we have the very presence of God in salvation in us. And the Bible says in verse 22 that the Holy Spirit in our hearts is a down payment. Notice verse 22, a down payment. Now, the down payment says more is coming. When I bought my house, I made a down payment. I was saying, more is coming. More is coming. So I'm going to put the down payment now, but more is coming in the future. And God in heaven has given us the Holy Spirit, and he places the Holy Spirit in our hearts, God in us. And he's saying to you, listen, he's saying to you, Christian, more is coming. I've got more for you. I've made you for something beyond just this moment. There's more to come. And you think my presence in your life is important now. You haven't seen anything yet. This is just the down payment. And one day you're going to see me face to face. And one day you're going to be in the home that you've been longing for. And one day you're going to know me as you've been fully known. And that's the down payment of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I want to ask you to say yes to God's presence. Yes to his presence. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? And some of you need to say yes to Jesus as Savior. And I want to ask you today to give your life to Christ. As we bow in prayer, would you give your life to Christ? Would you just acknowledge to God, I've sinned against you? Whatever that sin is, whatever, however you've rationalized it or argued with God, but would you say, God, I've sinned against you. You are holy and I'm not. And you, but I believe you did something about that sin. You died on the cross for me. You took my sins upon yourself on that cross. Your body was broken for me. Your blood was shed for me. And I'm going to place my faith in you who died for me. And I believe you rose from the grave and you did the miracle that I need. 
And you conquered sin and death and hell itself so that I can have you as Savior. And so this day, Lord, I want to turn from my sin and I want to give my life to you. And if you mean that, Christ will save you. Christian, would you say yes to God's plans? Yes to proclaiming the truth of his message? Yes to all of the God's promises? He said yes to you. Say yes to his promises. Would you say yes to his presence? God, I want to I want to live out my faith, knowing that this is the down payment, but Lord, I want to live out my faith for you. Father, thank you. Thank you for saying yes to us. Thank you for the truth and power of your word. And I'm praying, Lord, today for people to say yes to you, for people who are lost to be saved. You have drawn them here. You've convicted them of sin. Help them to whatever it is that would keep them from you. Procrastination. One day, someday, not right now. Lord, help them to see the folly of that and how much they need you. Today, Lord, would you do a work in their life so that today they would give their life to you and even now to be saved. Lord, I'm praying Christians will say yes to you. Some have been like that little child that just says every time you say yes, they say no. But you have something so much better, so much greater. Lord, would you help us today to say yes to all of your purposes and plans. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.